Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey Z. Hey. Stop. Stop it. Dude, she's like a psycho. Look at her face. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Let Me Tell You a Story. I've already failed you. I said I would be releasing an episode every week, and it has now been two weeks, and I'm so freaking sorry. What's your excuse? What happened last week? What, where were we? We were out of wedding. town. Went to a wedding. Screwed up the whole week. But you said to your three fans <laughs> that you were going to still record. That is so rude. Yeah, two fans, sorry. Hey! <laughs> All right, you guys. Today's episode hopefully will make up for absence last week. It's pretty wild, as per usual, as I say every week. But you know what? That's what we're here for, to tell the wild, lesser-known stories of the world. All right? So, babe. Babe. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you a story of a family with weird, practically incestual ties and the gruesome crimes that shook a small town to its very core. Bit of incest. Oh, yeah. Well, it's not like technically incest, but it's like basically incest. You'll see. So for this week's episode, we're traveling back to what is undoubtedly an absolutely terrible year in American history. Dale Earnhardt Jr. took second at the Daytona 500, but his teammate and father, Dale Earnhardt, tragically lost his life after crashing. <laughs> oh my effing word. Hayes, you cannot squeak your toy when I am talking about American legend Dale Earnhardt. <laughs> Dale Earnhardt Jr. took second at the Daytona 500, but his teammate and father, Dale Earnhardt, tragically lost his life after crashing in the final lap of the race. Andrea Yates became the most talked-about woman in America after she drowned her five children in a bathtub. Anthrax scared the shit out of people, and rightfully so. And of course, the horrific events of September 11th changed all of our lives forever. Pretty dark, huh? Mm. Yeah. The year was 2001, and it was a horrific garbage fire disaster of a year, let's be real. And that is to say the least. 2001 is probably the only year that could challenge 2020. But obviously 2020, like on a global scale, is much worse. But for America, 2001 was so bad. It was so bad. And it's crazy to think about because obviously and understandably so, the September 11th attacks just like, for lack of a better term, trumped all of the all of the news that year, but I was looking through what happened in 2001 and it was so bad. Like it was horrific. Where were you in 2001? England. Were you? Yeah. I was I in was Naperville, Illinois. 23, 22, 23. Mm. I don't know. I, I was nine. <laughs> <laughs> That's most important. You were 22? Yeah. So you had already like done things. Graduated. Fully unemployed Bachelor of the Arts. <laughs> oh, whatever. It's <laughs> oh. <laughs> the right attitude, babe. And while nothing can top the obvious major news stories of 2001, today's case just belongs in 2001, if you know what I mean. So here we go to... 
Hazy, are you freaking serious right now? <laughs> what are you doing? She looks like a crackhead. <laughs> She's got dog food. Okay, listeners out there, let me paint this picture for you. Our German Shepherd dog, who is just shy of a year, has dog food crusted onto her nose. And she is literally fighting with herself and her tail. She looks like an actual crackhead. Oh my god, it's like she knows I just called her a crackhead. You should apologize. God, you crazy bitch. (laughs) Okay, so here we go to Bridgeville, Delaware. Delaware. (laughs) Yeah. It's a tax haven. All right, well, is it? Peggy, you can start a business. You can start a shell company and... I think maybe there's no corporate taxes in Delaware or something. Everyone starts, like, their shell companies in Delaware. Literally, the only thing I know about Delaware is Joe Biden is from there, and also it's the first state. Did you know it was the first state? Sure. Is it the first state? I don't know. God, I hope I'm right. <laughs> I think yeah, it's the whatever. first state. Yeah, not, it doesn't matter. not American. Yeah, also, whatever. What was that, like, 1700s? All right, so the latest census report, which was done just this year, has the Bridgeville population at just about 2,500 people. Nice. So we're talking like a small, small town. In 2001, when this case takes place, there were only 400 less people living there, about 2,122. In comparison, Los Angeles was home to over 9.6 million people in 2011. Wait, has the population of Los Angeles gone down? No, 9.6 million. As of 2022, we're looking at just under 12.5 million Ooh. Angelinos. Damn, no wonder our rent's so fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> Back to Bridgeville, where I'm assuming literally, like actually literally, everybody knows everybody. Is there a bridge? I don't know. Hmm. I have no idea. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> But what the residents of Bridgeville didn't know was that their small town would be shook on the morning of November 30th, 2001. On that autumn morning, Delaware State Police were called by concerned family members of 61-year-old John Charbonneau. John had a heart condition and he also lived alone. So when family members had not been able to get a hold of him for a while, they became worried enough to request a welfare check from authorities. When police arrived to John Charbonneau's home, he was nowhere to be found. So they began searching the premises, and that's when they came upon a peculiar scene. In the backyard, authorities found a large mound of tires that just seemed like weirdly out of place. So they approached the trash pile and began digging around, and that's when they made the horrifying discovery. A body wrapped in sheets. So this body was technically buried underground, but on top of this like shallow grave is a mound of tires. So you're like they investigate, but like they pulled all these tires off, or did they like peer through the holes? No, no, no. They they pulled the tires off because like the whole premises seemed one way, and then just in this one random spot in the backyard of this home is a mound of tires, and they're like, that's kind of weird. And it I must have been weird enough based on the rest of the home. For them to like pull it apart, right? So if it like was like get a, a tidy house, and maybe, maybe I'm assuming because if it was like a trash house or like had a bunch of like car parts, you know that type of thing, yeah. maybe it'd be one thing. But I'm talking like they were weirded out enough to be like, let's look underneath the, the, this pile of tires. 
All right, so since they were there to do a welfare check on John Charbonneau, they probably assumed that the body buried in the backyard was that of the 61-year-old. But when they peeked inside a wallet found with the deceased victim, the name on the ID was not John Charbonneau. Instead, it belonged to a a man named Billy Sprouts. So now, police were racked with so many questions. Who is the victim here, John Charbonneau or Billy Sprouts? If it's John, why does he have Billy's ID? But if it's Billy, where the hell is John? And also, who the F is Billy? After all, the whole reason that they were there, remember, was to check in on John Charbonneau. So let's talk about these men, all right? Billy Sprouts grew up in Magnolia, Delaware. He made a living working on the farms before taking a job in the sawmills. What's a sawmill? It's where they saw wood. Oh, okay. And Boy worked hard. All that hard work would pay off, though, because by the time 1997 came around, Billy had set himself on the right road to becoming serious husband material, which would come in handy when he met a little lady named Linda Lou. (laughs) Linda Lou. Billy's friends and family said that it was truly love at first sight, or at least it was for Billy. He was as whipped as whipped could be. And the two quickly married, despite the fact that Linda Lou was Billy's first ever girlfriend. Ever. And I'm not saying that marrying, like, your first girlfriend is necessarily a bad thing, because it happens all the time, and it's magical and whatever. But I think marrying the first person that you ever date, like, really quickly is a little bit of a different story, don't you think? Yes. I think the chances of it working out are not good. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know what? Whatever. These two got married. And despite the ups and downs, they were still together by 2001. But as we know, it's now November, and police may have just discovered the body of Billy Sprouts wrapped up in sheets in the backyard of a man named John Charbonneau. Maybe. But all signs pointed to yes, because Billy Sprouts had actually been reported missing weeks earlier by his brother, David. So you see, on October 18th, Billy's brother, David, set out on a hunting trip that he and Billy had planned. But Billy never showed up. David was worried. It wasn't like Billy to ghost his brother, and when he couldn't get in contact with Billy, Billy or David called his sister-in-law, Linda Lou. And that's when he found out that Billy had been going through it. Linda told David that her and Billy were on the outs, and she actually had not seen him in weeks. Because... Billy had left her for another woman after their marriage seemingly failed. And David's like, oh, okay, thanks, Linda. Best of luck with everything. (laughs) Yeah, like, also, oh, hey, have you seen my brother? We're on the outs. He left me for another woman. Like, I haven't seen him in two weeks. (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) That obviously was not enough for David. (laughs) David's a good brother. So he took his concerns to the authorities and officially reported his brother, Billy, missing. And police did do some investigating into Billy's sudden disappearance, starting with, of course, his wife, Linda Lou. Linda told the police exactly what she told David. The two were, for all intents and purposes, separated, and she hadn't seen her husband in weeks. She did add a few details, though, revealing that while her and Billy were on the outs, they had been trying to work things out. Linda even returned to their shared home, and I say returned because Linda had moved out of the house when their relationship hit the shitter, and she thought it was a totally normal move to move in with her ex-husband, you know, while her and Billy were, quote-unquote, working things out. That's not that unreasonable. Are you kidding? What? Are you kidding? What? Babe. 
For real. They're not ex... Oh, wait. She moved in with her ex-husband. Yes. Oh. Uh, what did you think I said? I thought nothing. <laughs> <laughs> she, while her and I her see. current no, husband are on the outs, yeah. she's like, I'm going to go stay with my ex. Yeah. Small town, though. There's only 2,000 people. So yeah, where yeah. are you going to go? Uh, okay. Sure. Linda defended her actions, as you are. <laughs> Because according to her, she and Billy seemed to be making progress. But when Linda returned to their home to give it another good try with Billy. fucking someone else. He was nowhere to be found. Billy um, had left her for another woman, a younger woman. And he even left her a note just to let her know. (laughs) Okay. So now the Delaware State Police are side-eyeing like the hell out of this woman. Do you have the note? No, what I don't. What the fuck? No, I don't have the note. I'm sorry, I wasn't there. No, the, the reporting no, of the No, the reporting note. of the note was literally like, she, she told police, I already told David, I he left me for another woman. I know he did because he left me a note saying that he did. Oh, come Dear on. Dear Linda Lou. <laughs> I found a younger woman. She is hotter than you. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, so the police are like, hmm, you know what? Something just does not seem right here. But they did have to follow every lead, as they should, obviously. So they set out to find the mystery younger lady that Billy had allegedly ran off with, hoping finding her would lead them to finding Billy. But shocker, they just could not seem to track her down. With literally nothing else to go on except for Linda's account, authorities really could not do much with the case, and it quickly stalled. Fast forward a few weeks when authorities are conducting the welfare check on John Charbonneau. Now, the body found buried in the backyard was quickly transported to the ME's office, where it was determined that it was, in fact, that of missing Billy Sproats. Mm. Upon examination, the deceased man was clearly a victim of foul play. His hands were bound and tied behind his back, and he had been stabbed multiple times. He had also suffered blunt force trauma to his head. You know what they say, multiple knife, multiple knife wounds is like a crime of passion. Crime of passion. Mm. Well, just wait. But it wasn't the stabbing or the blunt force trauma that actually caused Billy's death. In Billy's lungs, the medical examiner found dirt, meaning that he was alive when he was buried. And his cause of death was then deemed to be asphyxiation. How do you feel about that? That is, alive. That's absolutely horrifying. That's like my biggest fear. <laughs> Remember when we were watching, grand, um, I almost said Grandfather Diaries, <laughs> Vampire Diaries, and... Don't, don't sully my name no, with your trash TV. Listen, when we were watching Vampire Diaries and Stefan gets buried in the coffin and he keeps dying and waking up because he's a vampire and he can't die, I literally was like, this is my nightmare. Every time he wakes up underwater in a coffin... And he tries to get out, and then he just dies again, just to wake up again. And that is absolutely horrifying. Do you ever watch that movie with Ryan Reynolds, where he's buried alive in a coffin? I can't. I know. It's all filmed in a coffin. He does a whole like hour and a half in the coffin. Yeah, I could never do it. Even if I was an actress, and they were like, "We'll pay you five million dollars." I'm sure he wasn't in a real coffin. No, I literally the idea of it is horrible. That's the whole reason that I want to be cremated when I die. That's literally the entire reason. When you're cremated, they put you in a really tight little oven. (laughs) Yeah, I I just, I can't imagine being buried alive. I just, I can't imagine. It is absolutely horrifying. That's your worst fear? It's like the one that makes me, like my chest is tightening up. That's absolutely my worst fear. What about being like pecked to death by emus? 
That's like number two. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're not, afra- you're not afraid of that? You're not like claustrophobic? I I, uh, yeah, I don't like tight spaces, but like I don't ever think about it because it's so fucking unlikely. It's like being afraid of being struck by lightning. When I was a kid, side note, when I was a kid, I couldn't even play hide and seek. Like, I would always come out of my hiding spot because I was so claustrophobic. God, you're so fucked up. You have so many issues. I know. I have so many fears. So now, with a body in an obvious homicide, police could get back to work on the case. Now, so much more than just a missing person investigation, obviously. So police went back to the beginning, starting with Linda Liu. Informing her of the discovery of her husband's body, Linda quickly connected dots for authorities. What was the connection between Billy and John Charbonneau? Well, Linda told the police that to Billy, Charbonneau was Uncle John. Billy and David were John's nephews. But while that may explain why Billy would be at John's house, that still didn't explain why he would have been buried in his uncle's backyard, obviously. But that wasn't all that Linda had to tell police. Not only was John Charbonneau, Billy's uncle, but he was also Linda's ex-husband. Oh my god. Well, well, hold on a minute. So they separated. Linda is at her ex-husband's house, and then her current husband is found dead at her ex-husband's house, Mm -hmm. who's also missing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not looking good for LL. Mm -mm. Mm -mm -mm. (laughs) Mm-mm-mm. Now, the whole family knew this, okay? When police went to inform Billy's brother, David, of the discovery, as well as inquire about the info that Linda Liu had just casually shared, David, who was obviously absolutely horrified at what had happened to his brother, was not oblivious to the fact that his family had multiple ties to Linda Liu. He was like, yeah, you know, it is weird that she left my uncle for my brother, and we really did not like it. But I can understand that also if your brother is so happy, then, I mean, what the hell are you going to do, right? No, you can't let that shit stand. No, it's messed up. And I'm sure it caused a lot of friction in the family. Yeah, imagine Christmas dinner. Yeah, it's awkward (laughs) as hell. Now, do you think that John Charbonneau felt the same way about it as (laughs) David did, Billy's brother? Or Billy did, apparently? Or Linda did, apparently? Like, was he happy? Of course not. John and Linda had actually been together for 20 years before she left him for his nephew, Billy. His nephew. (laughs) He raised Linda's daughter, Melissa, as if she were his own child. And then Linda left him for his nephew. Linda has children with other people. Yeah. Apparently her first husband died like in a car accident. So she had like, she lived a rough life. She had kids, and then John Charbonneau and her met. But they were together for 20 years. 20 years is a long time to be married. It's a long time to be married. It's always like, once you reach a certain point, you're like, are you serious? You really want to get divorced? Are you sure? Are you sure? You don't want to just, like, deal with each other? But then on top of that, I believe everybody deserves happiness. And even after 20 years, you still deserve happiness. But to leave your husband for his nephew is so gross and weird. It's gross. It's actually gross. Now, as you remember, when Billy had supposedly left Linda for that younger woman, Linda said she had moved in with her ex, which means that she moved back in with John Mm -hmm. Charbonneau. Mm -hmm. 
And I guess that she just didn't think to mention that to police at the time because maybe John wasn't a topic of conversation at that point. You know, they approached her about Billy, not about John. But still, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty on. fishy not to mention that, oh, and by the way, the ex I lived with is Billy's uncle, just in case that's important. The, but wait, when they approached her what, about um, it, they didn't say like, and we found him at your ex-husband's no, house? No, initially, initially when Billy was oh, first reported missing. Oh, when they were just like looking missing. for him. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, and she was like, well, I've been living with my ex. Like, it's still pretty weird that even though Billy had not been found at that point, that she wasn't like, I've been living with my ex, who, by the way, is Billy's uncle. Yeah, maybe she didn't want to air it out, you know? Yeah, maybe. I mean, she, maybe she's embarrassed, which she I can also understand. Be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, we're trying to work it out. I'm really sorry that he's missing, but also I've been shacking up with my ex-husband who just so happens to be his uncle. Like, yeah, I'm, I guess I could totally see yeah, why, why she wouldn't want to. Why volunteer that information? Yeah, yeah. Which is like more than we can say for a lot of people we cover on this show who volunteer information like ridiculously. Yeah, okay, so... But again, remember that she and Billy were supposedly working on their marriage and that she did return to their house to try again. And that's when she discovered that Billy was gone, this time apparently for good. Hmm. After that, it did not appear that Linda Lou moved back in with John again. She stayed at the home that she shared with Billy and she tried to move on. So police are like, um, all right, well, we got to find John. For all they knew, John Charbonneau could be behind Billy's murder. Maybe the two had a confrontation that went horribly wrong it would make sense that uncle and nephew could have gotten into it since linda Lou had been shacking up with john during her and billy's marital downfall the possibility definitely seems likely plus linda had told authorities that john really did not want her to go back to billy and she herself even questioned whether or not her ex could be responsible for her husband's and his nephew's murder and now with john missing perhaps he was on the lamp Seemed like a good motive. But again, all they have is Linda's account. So police went to question Linda's daughter, the one that John Charbonneau had helped her raise. Melissa. Melissa. Yes. As well as her boyfriend, Willie Brown, who went by Tony for some weird reason. I don't know, small town. Willie Brown's way better than Tony. Yeah, they were like, Willie Brown, or as as his friends and family called him, Tony. And I was like, huh? Maybe that's his middle name. Willie Brown, Anthony Shapiro, whatever it is. Anthony. No H, just just a T. <laughs> that's what I said. No, you said Anthony. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, but you just changed the name. The name Anthony does not exist. I don't know to how you. to spell. You didn't spell it out. Okay. Tony. Okay. Anthony. No. Okay, babe. You can't just ignore the name. Otherwise, Anthony. his name should be Thony. <laughs> All right, so Melissa and Tony were tight with Linda and John, obviously, right? Her mom was married to her stepdad for 20 years. So they thought that the couple may be able to shed some light on the events leading up to Billy's and now John's disappearances. So according to Melissa and Tony, when speaking to police, as far as they knew, John was on jury duty. <laughs> what? So lame. Yeah. I want you to call him phony from now on. <laughs> Stop it. Oh. They knew nothing about Billy's murder, and they hadn't had any contact with him before he ran off with that younger woman, who, by the way, still could not be found. <laughs> police got to work, doing some good old-fashioned investigating, trying to build a timeline of John's last known whereabouts and activities. They got a warrant to look into all of his bank accounts. If he was on the run, he'd need money eventually. No money seemed to have been taken out of his accounts. So they figured that it was only a matter of time Uncle Johnny ran out of cash and would need to make a withdrawal. Then they'd be able to track the location and hopefully (laughs) 
track down John. It's fine. He's on jury duty. He's on jury duty. (laughs) Yeah, don't worry about it. And bam, police were thrilled when they were alerted of movement into John's bank accounts. Into? In John's bank accounts. Throughout John's bank accounts. They were alerted of movement in his bank accounts. That makes sense. Doesn't it? Activity. They were alerted of activity. Yeah. Activity in John's bank accounts. Yes. Movement. Movement sounds like he's taking a dump. No, movement. There's things moving around. Money moving around. Activity. Ah, whatever. Like when you check your bank account online, it's like recent activity. Mine says recent movement. It does not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it definitely doesn't. And bam, police were thrilled when they were alerted of recent transactions in John's bank accounts. Um, what an amazing sentence. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> His card had been used at an ATM, so police obviously obtained the security footage, probably fully expecting to see John. However... It was Betty Boo, or whatever her name is. Who? Linda Lou? No, yeah. <laughs> Betty Boo, <laughs> she's she does. However... The person using John's bank of cards was actually his stepdaughter, Melissa. Oh my god. Also, what's a bank of card? Bank of, bank cards. <laughs> Did I say bank of cards? That's that's accounts and cards mixed together. Yeah, Melissa was captured on video surveillance using her step ex stepfather. I guess at that point it's still that's your stepdad, so right? So complicated. Melissa Lou. Melissa Rosinski. Oh, their last name isn't Lou. Well, she's... Linda Lou. She's married, but divorced or separated. So it's just her and Tony Brown. Willie. Willie Tony Brown. So police are like, I'm sorry, what? Melissa, Melissa, Melissa. Maybe police had been looking in the wrong direction this entire time. Looking for John, they should have been paying attention to Melissa. They obtained a search warrant for Melissa's residence, which also just so happened to be Linda's residence. Melissa and her boyfriend, Tony, had moved back into Linda and Billy's home. And even though police found literal bloodstains in multiple places inside the home, as well as in Linda's vehicle, there was nothing they could do until the blood was tested. Days turned to weeks, and eventually months had passed without a DNA match. And with no other movement in the murder case of Billy Sprouts and the missing person investigation of John Charbonneau, police were left stuck once again. But then, Delaware State Police landed a major break when they received a call from the Delaware State Prison. Let me guess. Not jury duty. He's in prison. Someone's in prison. An inmate at the jail had some information for police. John Rosinski was currently serving time for burglary. John Rosinski was also Melissa's ex-husband. Oh my God. And John had been watching TV during the communal hours when he happened to catch a news broadcast covering the murder of Billy Sprouts. Making the obvious family connection, he decided to come forward because he had some information. But... Not about Billy. When he sat down with investigators, John revealed that he had been approached to take out John Charbonneau. John Rosinski explained that he had just been minding his P's and Q's (laughs) when his ex-wife Melissa and his ex-wife's mother, Linda Liu, his ex-mother-in-law, asked him to please help them kill John Charbonneau. 
Linda had a plan to collect John's disability checks and take the money for herself. But she obviously couldn't do that if he was alive. But John Rosinski was like, okay, y'all are crazy. Absolutely freaking not. No. So even though Rosinski didn't have any info into Billy's murder, he seemed very credible about the plot to take out John Charbonneau. Maybe the reason they were never able to track John down is because he was dead. And if Melissa and Linda Liu moved ahead with the murder plot without Rosinski's help, the chances of them also being connected to Billy's murder seems pretty damn likely. Well, all that blood found inside Linda and Melissa's house and in Linda's van finally came back in the spring of 2002 with a match. Billy Sprouts. And... John Charbonneau. Oh, man. Billy's blood was inside the house. John's blood was in Linda's van. But still, even with the blood evidence and John Rosinski's jailhouse revelation, it was not enough to make an arrest. After all, John Charbonneau's body had never been found, and they could not tie the duo directly to the scene of Billy's murder. At that point, Linda had already moved out of John's house. There was nothing to prove otherwise. So police did what they do best. And it did not take long for the walls to close in around the suspected murderers. But it would be Melissa who would finally crack during one of those interrogations. Soon, the whole murderous plot came spilling out. All the way back in September of 2001, Linda Liu finally made good on her master plan to take out John Charbonneau with the help of Melissa and Melissa's boyfriend, Willie Tony Brown. Oh. Tony. 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 Oh. Hey. Oh, Tony. Oh, Tony. At that time, Linda Lou was still living with John, remember, during her separation oh, from Billy. This is tough. This is, this is a tough story. Mm-hmm. So she enlisted Tony to break into John's home one night, which would be super easy because she left the door unlocked for him. <laughs> is that breaking in? It's not. She just, like, wanted to, like, seem like a burglary. Oh, so he, like, roughed mm-hmm. the place up a little bit? No, he, like, like broke in, quote-unquote. Yeah. So, suspecting a burglary in progress, John Charbonneau rushed downstairs to investigate. So, that was the whole plan. If you, like, slam the door open and start moving things around. Let's see, so he was like, there's someone burglaring. Bur- burglaring. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's trying to take all my shit. Yes. He's going to go in and investigate. Yeah. Okay. And that is when Tony attacked him, beating the man to death while Linda just watched. According to the snapped episode on the case, John's last words were, quote, Linda, are you going to let him do this to me? As he's being beaten up? Yeah. Beaten to death? Beaten to beaten to death. Wow, Linda Lewis, a piece of work. She's a monster, like an absolute monster. Once John was dead, Tony and Melissa then put his body into Linda's van, and they later buried him in the woods. After the murder, they moved out and back into the Sprouts' home, where Billy still was, despite the fact that Linda had initially told both Billy's brother and authorities that Billy was not there when she returned home. Then again, she also didn't say that she killed John before returning either, so, you know, you can't really believe anything this woman says. But remember, this is all according to Melissa. When Linda returned home to Billy, brought she brought along some stuff from John's, and she, Melissa, and Tony continued bringing stuff from John's over to the Sprouts' home. So they were, like, clearing things out of his house like freaking idiots. 
which eventually started looking real sus to Billy. And at one point they brought over like a a toolbox or something that was like splattered with blood. And that's when Billy was like, um, why is all my uncle's shit here? And why is there blood on it? And what happened? And Linda Lou's like, all right, well, shit, Billy. Now we got to kill you too. Mm. So the murder trio got back to work, killing Billy, as we know now, by beating and stabbing him before burying him alive, yeah. remember, yeah. back at John's. Melissa told authorities that they decided to bury him at John's so that they wouldn't look suspicious. No. <laughs> what? She literally said that. What is yeah, the plan Yeah, she literally here? said that. She was like, the only reason we buried him over there was that we didn't want him to be buried on his own property. We didn't want to look suspicious. Dumb. I don't care what the, what the plan is. I don't care what the cover the whole The whole plan, according to Melissa, is that Linda Lou wanted... John's disability checks. No, I get that. I so don't get they, what they just wanted to kill John. I don't get what they were thinking. They're like, I know. Let's take him to John's house. Let's take Billy. Oh, to because John's they were house. like, this is good motive. She was like smart enough to even think that this is good motive, which it was. Like police truly believed the motive was John wanting to kill his nephew because I his see. ex-wife was planning on going back to him, and he I was see. happy that she was back with him. You know. Mm. Thanks to Melissa's confession, police had everything they needed, except for, of course, the body of John Charbonneau. It's in the woods. So they set out to find Tony, (laughs) all right? Willie Tony Brown, which was not hard at all because he was in jail. (laughs) So Tony had violated parole for some offense that was not listed. Tony. And so police are like, hey, you're already in jail. If you have anything to say that could help us out here and maybe even help you too, you got to start talking to us. And that's when Tony was like, yep, Melissa's telling the truth. Everything (laughs) happened exactly the way she said it. Okay, (laughs) Everything she revealed was the truth, according to Tony. And he even did them an extra solid and led police right to where he and Melissa had buried John Charbonneau's body. And that was captured on, like, footage, I guess. There was, like, footage of them, him leading to their body on July 2nd, 2002. So now police know that at least some of the story was definitely true. But they still really couldn't tie Linda Lou to the murders. For all they knew, Melissa and Tony had masterminded and carried out the murders on their own. And now they were just adding Linda into their grand scheme. But police didn't buy a murder plot without Linda. They just didn't think that it was possible, right? According to them, uh, Melinda, Melissa and Tony just seemed believable. And I guess like... Well, Linda Lou has already admitted... A bunch of... Yes, and also it's just like it's too close for comfort. There's too many things, you know? Like all these things happening around her, what are the chances that she doesn't know what's happening? She's the uh, thread. She's the common thread in this whole thing. Right, But there's literally no physical evidence because... What about blood in her van? That's physical evidence. Yeah, but Melissa and Tony lived with her. They all shared the car. Yeah. Like, there's literally no actual physical evidence that isolates her and ties her specifically directly to the murders. She definitely did. So police are forced to move forward with charges in only one way. And that is asking Melissa to testify against her own mother. Melissa agreed. And, and in exchange, she pled guilty to second degree murder and she received a 25 year sentence. Honestly, like if you, if you, if you'd done something like that, it's hard to imagine, but like, let's say you did. Nikos like, we'll cut you a deal. Mm-hmm. You can either go to jail for 40 years or you can go to jail for 25 years. Would you 
Like, what's the point in even taking it? No, they're like, hey, we're going to charge you with first degree murder here because it's your word against his word against her word. Yeah. Therefore, all of you are guilty of first degree murder as far as we're concerned. We need your testimony because there is nothing tying your mother to these crimes. If you're saying that you didn't murder John, all you did was move his body. And with Billy, you're saying, yeah, sure, you guys all killed him, but you had the least amount of whatever in it, which I'm sure she did. Then that that is what we need in court. But right now for us, it looks like all three of you are guilty of first degree murder. So you can go to jail for 25 years or you can go to jail for life and possibly receive a death sentence. Because in Delaware the death sentence still stood. So the proposition is like, you're going to jail either way. Right. Make it easier. Do you want to die? Do you want to chance that? You can still fight that. Or life without parole. Can't you just still be like, no. You can take your chances and go to, and go to trial. Sure. Right. But you've also admitted everything. You are now on camera. That's a bit of a mistake. Yeah. (laughs) What what would be the first thing (laughs) that the prosecution do during trial? They would play her confession for sure. So Melissa did agree, like I said, and she instead pled guilty to second degree murder. And that's when she received her 25 year sentence. Tony obviously was also charged. He like actually killed John Charbonneau and he admitted to that, obviously. So he pled guilty to two first degree murder charges. But by pleading guilty, which you're like, why would he plead guilty to first degree murder? He avoided the death penalty. Mm. So he received two life sentences, no parole for the murders, which he continues to serve to this day at the James T. Vaughn Correctional Center in Delaware. He's never getting out. Now, Linda Liu, all right? Mm -hmm. She went to trial in 2004. During the trial, the state argued that she, as the ultimate mastermind of the murders, was more responsible than both Melissa and Tony because without her, there were no murders. And that argument hit hard with the jury because in April that year, she was ultimately found guilty of two counts of first degree murder. Just a couple of months later, in June of 2004, Linda Lou Charbonneau, or Sprouts at this point, I guess, became the first woman since 1935 in the state of Delaware to be sentenced to death for her role in the murders of her husband and ex-husband. The jury, though not unanimous, had recommended the death penalty, but Delaware law left the ultimate decision up to the judge. Sussex County Superior Court Judge Richard F. Stokes officially handed down the death sentence, referring to the events of 2001 as, quote, egregious, cold-blooded, horrible killings. But like many states, any death sentence receives an automatic review by Mm -hmm. the Supreme Court. And Charbonneau's lawyer, she's listed as Linda Lou Charbonneau, but technically... She was married to Billy Sprout, so I don't know why. But in all the articles, it's always Linda Lou Charbonneau. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So her lawyer, Thomas Pedersen, confirmed that he would definitely be appealing not only the death sentence, but her conviction as a whole. Two years later, in 2006, Linda Lou's entire conviction was overturned. What? Her defense successfully argued that in the initial trial, Tony, Willie Tony Brown had never been called to testify. And without his word as the primary murderer of the case, actually, the entire story had not been heard. And believe it or not, the Supreme Court actually agreed. Okay, explain it to me. So her current defense lawyers for her appeal were like, hey, her initial 
defense team did not compel Willie Tony Brown to testify. Oh, so like the the and they're just arguing that like so got overturned on like oh you had poor it's representation. It's a technicality. Yeah, it's a technicality. It's like, but like hey, they didn't that, do everything they could. Doesn't have Doesn't that just go to retrial then? If the state chooses to retry her, I see. In fact, there's a lot of appeals that go that route of like poor representation or like misrepresentation. I mean, I think more should go that route. And to be honest, like, yeah, it's not it's not up for debate. You're never going to change my mind. But I don't believe in the death penalty. I understand that it happens. I accept that it happens and that like I believe in the law. So if like a state has that law, while I don't agree with that law and I would be very openly outspoken about that. I also understand that as long as a law is a law, it's a law. Does that make sense? Because the death penalty stands in a lot of states still, not as many as before, but a lot, I always do agree with the fact that every death penalty case should be reviewed. I'm always okay with an overturning of the death sentence and it being commuted to life in prison without parole because I don't believe in the death penalty. But they didn't just do that. They overturned her entire conviction. I think that's the... That's... That's... Technically, the right thing to do, isn't it? Like, according to the law. I think that the Supreme Court truly sees the issue with not this, the, her defense could have done more, which, sure. And everyone is, everyone is entitled to a good defense, you know, a public defender, whether or not you can afford one for yourself or not, everybody is entitled to that. So, yeah, I guess in a way I do agree with it, but also, She's clearly fucking guilty. Yeah, but I think that's that's the slippery slope, right? You can't just be like, well, even though this trial was done incorrectly, mm-hmm. we know she's guilty, mm-hmm. so fuck it. Like, that's, that's yeah. a slippery slope. No, I agree. Bad shit. And I would rather, much rather always take that. Like, let's be clear. I would much rather always take an overturning of a guilty person rather than an innocent person being put to death. Always. A million times over. I know that sounds awful and a lot of people will disagree with me, but the idea of an innocent person dying for a crime that they did not commit breaks my heart on so many levels. So, yes, I will always take that um, with hopes that if they are guilty, that they would be eventually faced with justice. Well, the idea is... You have to overturn that case because it wasn't tried correctly. And then the system is supposed to pick up the slack. So the the prosecutor's office is supposed to be like, oh, this is easy. Or like, whatever. Yeah, we're going to retry it. If they choose not to, then that's not really the fault of the judge or the ruling in the first case or anything. That's really the choice of the prosecutor. Okay, but like you said, the prosecution should say, oh, this is easy. But if you remember, they had zero evidence. Sure. So what did they do in the first trial? They got Melissa to testify against her and mother. Billy Bob, Billy Willie, Willie. Well, they didn't. That's why the case got overturned. Because he never testified, right? Yeah. So like, but that's the what I'm main, saying is on the retrial, they would get him to testify. They would have to, right? But they're still, their main key witness was always Melissa, Linda's daughter, to testify against her mother, okay? However, as much as prosecution wanted to believe that they could get through a second trial, this time, Melissa refused to testify against her well, mother. She's already got her deal, so like, what's yeah. in it for her? Unless they're like, going to reduce her sentence. No, no. She's like, I'm not doing it. I'm mm. not testifying against my mother. 
And without her testimony, this the state was screwed. They were screwed. They were like, there was literally nothing. We didn't have anything then. It's now been years, okay? It's now 2006, 2007. And they're like, uh, it's been six years since we found out about these murders. We didn't have any evidence back then. We've been doing no investigating, right? In how many years? Because they went to trial in like 2002 or whatever, 2000, yeah. Yeah. And they've done nothing. There's literally, there's nothing left for them to even investigate. They've collected all the evidence. They proved that the blood was there. But the two people had already been sentenced and they were the ones that confessed. Linda Lou never confessed. So without Melissa's testimony, the state were like, well, what do we do here except for present Linda Lou with a plea deal? This all feeds into my concept that like you should just never confess to anything you should never confess to anything yeah i know i I get what you're saying i mean it's the right thing to do it's good karma why not just fucking risk it if you're going to that's that was my point earlier it's like if you're going to jail for life Mm -hmm. or you're going to jail for the death penalty or you're going to jail for like 25 years to me that's all the same i could be dead in 25 years right so don't say shit Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So when the prosecution or the state were like talking to Billy and John's family, remember, which is all the same family, yeah, yeah. they were like, we don't have anything to tie her to these murders. Like, these are two members of the same family, and we have to present her with the plea deal. And they were obviously so upset. And to think that your family member's murderer is getting the ultimate justice only for them to literally get off in a technicality must be so effing awful like years later what's the plea deal so she pled guilty to second degree murder well she went for the plea she went for the plea she didn't want to chance it she first of all she was on death row okay so she's like great let's do a plea deal i don't want to chance this and have the jury find me guilty again and sentence me to death again this is like her ultimate get out of jail card, but she still had to plead guilty to second degree murder. She got a 20 year sentence and she is scheduled to be released. Wait for it. In July of 2022. On like early parole for good behavior or like what? Um, well, I think it was like, so that was between, 2005. Well, 2006, she got resentenced, but I think it was like a 15 to 20 year sentence. And the she'd, maximum. Done, she'd done five years. Oh my yeah, god, is, she farted? Dude, that is gnarly. So, <laughs> that is Yeah, savory. maybe they added on, exactly, maybe they added on the five well, years she'd served, already... Right. right? Like, that's so normal. So, if she got a 20-year sentence in 2006 or seven, she'd already served five years, so that would make sense. But she is out, literally, in just a few months. Okay? So, her sentence ended up being less than her daughter's sentence. Which, remember, her daughter took a 25-year... Yeah, but she should have negotiated a deal. <laughs> it smells like... It's very umami. It smells so bad. <laughs> Holy shit. Literally. <laughs> uh, the idea is... Yeah, Mel- Melinda, Melissa, Melissa, whatever. She should have negotiated a mm-hmm. better deal. She already, she already fucked her mom over. Mm-hmm. So then to then to suddenly find, like, no, now I'm not going to do it. That's so dumb. What's weird to me is that 
when Melissa pled guilty to second-degree murder, she got a 25-year sentence. But when Linda Liu pled guilty to second-degree murder, she got a 20-year sentence. Well, I just think, like, the sentence structure changes over time. And, yeah. like, the penalty changes. And maybe they were like, this was, like, a few years ago, whatever. But it wasn't that long before. No, but I also think... The closer you are to the murder, the stronger the sentence is going to be. And I also think like sentencing in different periods of time is, it varies between Mm -hmm. like people who are super strict and like using the full Mm -hmm. time allotted to in sentencing, if that makes sense. Or like, you know, like... I think now you get less time for for shit than you did in the like nineties, because there was like a zero tolerance. I don't know. There's like a, yeah, I get what you're the saying. The justice system like changes all the time on like sure. what the guidelines are for, for sentencing. Sure. Yeah, and maybe they looked at her age too, and they're like, by the time this woman gets out, like there's a lot of things that factor into that. Uh, but still, like she still masterminded the murders of her ex and her current husband, which is so effed up. Melissa is scheduled to be released in 2024, in April of 2024, um, which is just, just in, literally just, two years from now. Just in time for Trump. Yeah, just in time for <laughs> Trump. Um, oh, but I did read that as in 2016, she had been asking for commutation. So she'd been asking for a sentence to be reduced. But that's all I read about it. No, that's like, not reduced. That's like, hey, you can get out of jail. No, because like when people on death row get their sentences commuted down to life without parole. So do I they? Think, I thought yeah. I thought a commuted sentence means you're free to go. No, like people sitting on death row often have their cases commuted to life without parole mm. or life or whatever. Okay. But yeah, maybe. I mean, at that point. No, I don't know. I'm, I didn't know that. Yeah, in 2016, though, would make sense. I literally didn't read if anything ever came of that, ever. Um, But then I also read at some points that people had said that Linda Lou Charbonneau could have gotten out as early as 2019. But I looked everywhere and could not see any sort of official record that she had been released. So I do believe she's serving the full, the maximum of her plea deal. But regardless, it is... Almost April 2022. That bitch is out May, June, July. Three months? Three months from now. How old will she be? Yeah, so she was 53. Her current husband, Billy Sprouse, was 45, and her ex-husband was 62. So 2002, she was 53. That means she'll be, like, early to mid-70s by the time she's released. Would you like to see a picture of her? Yes. Are you ready? Who's that, Ozzy Osbourne? (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. Isn't she super hot? (laughs) It's so messed up, but also, like, America. (laughs) What kind of analysis is that? (laughs) Like, small town, podunk America. Oh, I see. America, like, straight up. Where people don't pronounce the A. They just say America. It's a lesser known story, but at the time, you you have to have thought... That would have made headlines had it not been for the fact that 2001 was right, right. overtaken by September 11th. And that was the news for literally years to come, like two, three years after that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of there's a lot there's of a like lot. store like media stories that got ignored because of larger events, mm-hmm. which like you got to think that's people aren't stupid. So like there's a technique to that. I feel like there are, like you said, people aren't dumb. They know that people are 
are caught up with stuff because John Charbonneau went missing. They killed him in September of 2001, literally uh, two weeks after September 11th. People are so caught up with with other stuff. And it makes sense that some crazy bitch who had a plan to murder her ex-husband for a while would think, oh my God, look at the whole world is caught up with this thing. I might be able to get away with this for sure. And it's sad to me because... Yes, it's great that some of those those other stories are now getting more attention thanks to podcasts. Um, yeah. But there are so many, like you said, that I feel like we'll continue to hear about as time goes by. Because it always is weird to me when I hear about a weird ass, like a weird crazy murder that would definitely make headlines in 2022 that happened in 2001. But nobody's ever heard of it. Think of all the stories that happened last night when Will Smith's slept Chris Rock that have been buried they've been buried (laughs) or like when Kanye tweets like think of all the media stories that are buried yeah it's true it just takes one big story to like (laughs) overtake overtake the the waves yeah think about every time Julia Fox speaks poor John who literally just wanted his ex-wife back and poor Billy who only died as collateral damage because he started catching on. Like, they were the most innocent victims. Yeah, so I'll do my recap. Don't trust your (laughs) ex-wife. Your ex-wife is really sweet, though. This is another stink. (gasps) You don't smell it? Yeah, I do. What is wrong with her? Oh, my God. She needs to shit. You need to take her outside. Our dog is dropping bombs right now in the house. That is unfortunate. She's upset about the murders of Billy Sprouts and John Charbonneau, which I am too. Yeah, I mean, the moral of the story is really, like, you can't trust anybody, no matter if you married them for 20 fucking years. Like, that's actually really sad. This is a sad story. That's why I don't like it. All for disability checks. I like the one where they were, like, bodybuilders. That was way better. Well, it's always way easier to hate on people who are just idiots, right? There was... Oh my god, it smells like the inside of a rotten ass in here. All right, you guys, that is the horrible, horrific murders of Billy Sprouts and John Charbonneau and the murderous crimes of Linda Lou Sprouts Charbonneau, Melissa Rosinski, and Willie Tony Brown. It's another reason why I didn't like it. Everyone's name's too complicated. Um, you hate everybody's names always, no. always. Yes, you hate everybody's, everybody's name names. in this story is too complicated, except for Linda Lou. Anyways, if you'd like to support the show, paypal.me slash stvcrime. We really appreciate it. It allows us to keep making this podcast and also do our jobs and support our family. We have a child, just so you know. But no pressure. You can also email the show at letmetellyoustory at gmail.com or thatsocianade at gmail.com, which is my personal, public email Case suggestions are always welcome. Say nice things about the show or say mean things. But if you are going to say mean things, I really would appreciate if you email them and not write them in your review. Um, Which reminds me, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. I love you guys so much. Nils loves you too. And we will see you, talk to you next time when we have a brand new episode next week. Say bye, babe. Bye. What? (laughs) Jesus. Uh. Bye. (laughs) All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.